Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, mamas. I'm your host, Chelsea Brandon, and today it's time for our monthly mailbag episode on the Smart Money Mama Show, where we answer questions directly from listeners like you. Today, we've got a whole bunch of things to discuss from financial considerations when moving out of the country, inheriting IRAs, figuring out if you're ready to retire, resources for smart money daddies, and I'll answer a question about how I left my corporate job. For an overview of this month's questions, links to all the resources mentioned, and to download your free Meaningful Money Goal Kickstart Guide, head over to the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 105. All right, all right, let's get started. Unfortunately, Lauren wasn't able to join us today, so you'll have to just settle for hanging with me for a while. Our first question comes from Jacqueline, who says, my husband and I would love to move out of the country at some point in the next two to five years. What happens to our retirement and any other investment accounts? Do we need to change them to that country or do they work the same from anywhere? Anything else financial-wise we need to consider before moving, we're thinking Spain. This is very exciting, Jacqueline, so cool. And I think it would be amazing to go live in Spain. There are questions about whether you're going for a short period of time or you want to make a permanent move to Spain. Those are going to a little bit differ what happens with you financially. But when you leave the country as a U.S. citizen, you can continue to have U.S. retirement and investment accounts. However, you can only contribute to an IRA or a 401k if you have earned income above deductions and exclusions. Are you actually paying taxes on some portion of money that you earned that year? When you live outside the U.S., the U.S. has what's called a foreign earned income exclusion that excludes for 2021 up to $108,000, well, $108,700 per person from U.S. income tax. If you earn more than that, you can contribute up to that amount, up to the retirement account limits to your retirement funds. So let's say you made $120,000, $108,700 of which would not be taxed at U.S. federal taxes, but the remainder, the $11,300 would be taxed, which would mean that you could contribute up to that amount, up to $11,300 to retirement accounts. I know it's hard to do numbers on a podcast, but I hope that's helpful. Once you reach retirement, you can also make withdrawals from a 401k or IRA in retirement while living abroad. The difficulty is other countries may not respect the tax benefits of U.S.-based retirement accounts. And so even if you're using like a Roth IRA, where in the U.S. withdrawals wouldn't be facing income or capital gains taxes, that might happen. You might have to pay income or capital gains taxes in the country you're residing. I don't know the rules about that for Spain. And so what I will overall say for anyone who's listening, because we don't want to make this Spain specific, but before you move, you want to make sure to meet with a CPA in the U.S. that specializes in expat taxes. They can walk you through what you will or will not owe, depending on where you move. Over 65 countries have tax treaties with the U.S., which basically give residents a tax break from local taxes with lower rates or certain exemptions for U.S. expats living in those countries. Your accountant will be able to make sure you aren't moving to a place with a lower cost of living, but that also results in a much higher tax bill minimizing your savings. And once you move, you'll also want to make sure you find a local tax advisor in your new country as well, since you now have two sets of tax laws to be dealing with. 
When it comes to taxable and normal accounts, you can continue to invest in those in the U.S. as a U.S. citizen. You just have to watch what happens to your taxes in the local country where you're living and how it might affect U.S. taxes, okay? You can also claim Social Security while living outside of the country. There's over 600,000 people that claim Social Security living outside the country. That will continue. You can claim those benefits, but you will owe income taxes on those withdrawals. Now, you asked me, what other things to consider? What are some other financial things to consider when you're moving abroad? The big one that I want to call out, and this is something we talk about in the Smart Money Mamas podcast all the time, you have to think about your estate plan. When you are an expat living outside the country, your estate plan is going to be way more complicated and it will need to be updated, not only in the US, but also you will need a second estate plan in the country that you're living in. So when you move, the US consulate in your new country will be able to help you with attorney recommendations so you can get that set up. The other thing you want to consider is how you'll get health care. How does it work in the country where you're moving to? Will you need private insurance? Will you be eligible for universal health care, if it's available, how long do you need to live there to be eligible for that kind of care? Those are the type of things that you want to start to figure out as well, because it's going to impact your costs. Now, the last thing that I recommend is think about where you're going to live, which obviously you know to think about that. But what I want you to consider is, are you purchasing real estate or renting? What information or assets will you need to make that possible? That might require talking to a real estate agent local to the country that you're moving to, But in some other countries, you know, that process is more extended or it comes with higher property taxes or wealth taxes that are associated with owning real estate. And so you really want to know what it's going to take to own or to rent real estate in the country that you're moving to. Overall, though, moving to another country is a really exciting thing. And I'm, I'm so excited for you, Jacqueline. I hope that this helps you get a little bit more prepared. Think of some things you might want to check off your list. And I'd also encourage, this is just a suggestion from a friend of mine who moved to Panama full time, is to go live in that country for at least a month. Go do a long-term Airbnb rental. Go settle in that place for a while, you know, a long enough to be out of the rhythm of vacation and really be living there, knowing the grocery stores, knowing the area, and make sure you're comfortable with where you're moving so you're picking the best place, not only financially, but also for you and your family. All right, our second question comes from Alice, who asks, we're inheriting some money from an IRA, which apparently we have to take out in the next 10 years. We also would like to use some to buy a car. We do have a financial advisor, but I'd like to be more educated on how to go about this before I hear his input. Awesome. Well, I'm sorry for your loss. Any inheritance always comes with grief as well. And so I know that that can be a difficult thing. When you inherit money from a traditional IRA, you are required to take that money out in the next 10 years. That is because Uncle Sam wants his money. And so with a traditional IRA, just like a 401k, that money was tax deferred. Your family member put that money in before paying income taxes on it with the agreement that they, when they withdrew it in retirement, they would pay income taxes as they withdrew it. And so with the inheritance rules, you have to take the money out in the next 10 years and pay taxes on that money as you take it out. So there's two ways to do this. One would be required minimum distributions, which makes sure that you take out all of the money in the next 10 years. An accountant will be able to tell you how much you need to be taking out every year. Now, if you wanted to take money out to pay for a car in a bigger lump sum payment, you're absolutely able to do that. You choose how much money is coming out of the account. What you want to remember is that this money is income taxable. And so if you take a big chunk out to pay for a car, remember that at the end of the year, you're going to owe 
taxes on that amount that you took out. So if you took out $20,000, you might owe 30% of $20,000 to federal income taxes. So just make sure you're planning for that and either take out enough money to cover the tax bill or make sure that you're saving up for that tax bill throughout the year when you're not surprised at the end. If there's money that is remaining in that account after you pay for the car, then you will just have to make sure that you're withdrawing it on an annual basis, at least up to that required minimum distribution amount so that at the end of 10 years, the account has been emptied, you've paid appropriate taxes and you're good to go. That's generally how it works. It's not super complicated, but it is one of the benefits that we sometimes talk about of a Roth IRA versus a traditional IRA when you're leaving money to family members. A Roth IRA, the income taxes are already paid. So Roth IRAs, inherited Roth IRAs, don't have any required minimum distributions. That money can stay invested, can stay growing. You can't add any money to an inherited IRA, both either traditional or Roth, but you can continue to get that compound growth all the way till maybe you need it in retirement, or maybe you pass it on to your kids and it continues compounding. It's just one of the flexibility benefits of a Roth. But if you're talking about having to take that money out in 10 years, you're inheriting a traditional IRA and everything we just talked about is how it's going to work. Good luck getting your new car. Before we answer the rest of our questions, let's take a quick break to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Did you know that banks make over $35 billion, with a B, dollars a year from fees? Overdraft fees, maintenance fees, ATM fees, the average American pays over $100 a year in bank fees, but not when they use Chime. I'll be honest, I'm a little obsessed with our Chime accounts. The Chime app has no hidden fees, has over 38,000 fee-free ATMs, helps you get paid two days earlier with direct deposit, and helps you grow your savings with an optional high-yield savings account. And that's just some of the benefits. I love that every time I swipe my Chime debit card, I get an instant notification on my phone with a cute little emoji telling me how much was spent and how much is left in my account. It makes staying aware of our spending so much easier. Head to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Chime and make the switch today to a bank account that has your back. Chime is a financial technology company. Banking services provided by the Bancorp Bank or Stride Bank NA, members FDIC. Our next question comes from Robin, and she says, at 65 and 60, my husband and I feel like we're still adulting. (laughs) What are some resources that can help you decide when you can retire? We have never worked with a CFP and wonder if now is the time. In addition to retirement savings and investment strategies, we have questions about life insurance, if we need it or not, affordable health insurance, etc., Great question, Robin. I think this is something that no one really knows enough about until they're close to retirement, right? It's not something that a lot of us read up about early on. And while we can be saving what we think are the appropriate amounts our whole lives, there's a gut check that has to happen before we really put in our notice at our job and are ready to walk away and retire. The first resource I'd recommend to you is my friend Emily Guy Birkin wrote a book called Five Years Before You Retire. This is about the few years before you retire, what you need to consider, how you need to look at your assets, um, and how to know if you're really prepared to take that leap. It's a pretty quick read. It's an easy read, but it's going to be really, really helpful to get you to understand what's going to happen with Social Security, what's going to happen with your investments, what's going to happen with your healthcare. So I highly recommend that book. When it comes to what's left, you want to consider hiring a CFP. I think this is a time that even if you just hire a hourly CFP or a one-off session with a CFP, you just want to consult on what your retirement assets currently look like, how much they think you can safely withdraw every year to live off of that will last you through your life. 
and just kind of get a like I said, a gut check about it. You don't need to have your investments turned over to be managed by a CFP. You don't necessarily have to decide to hire a CFP that you meet with every quarter or every year, but you want to at least get somebody to take a look and get an overview. You can also sign on to the Social Security Administration and get an estimate of what your Social Security benefits are going to be, whether you take them at 65, whether you take them at 67, and things like that. That'll give you a sense of what's your gap, you know, what do you have to earn or withdraw from your investments over and above Social Security to meet your retirement goals, the type of retirement that you want to live. And then you can check, do I have the assets to sustain that, right? Do I have enough money to be pulling out every year to cover those expenses? The last thing I want to mention and to consider is that you save up a cash cushion before you retire. While we talk about three to six months emergency funds being good for, you know, the average person, we want someone that's approaching retirement or or early retirement to have at least a year of cash in hand. That can either be that you withdraw a little bit of money from the market or you save up in that last five years before you retire. The benefit of having one and even two years of cash on hand is that when you look at the longevity of someone's retirement investments, right, the money that you've saved up for your retirement, the worst thing that can happen is that you see a recession, a decline in the market in the first two to three years after you retire. What happens if you don't have cash on hand is that the market goes down, so the value of your investments goes down, let's say 20 to 30%, but then you have to withdraw money to live on at that lower point, which means you've secured in those losses in some of those withdrawals. And then the ability to kind of recover and get that money to last you long-term is much harder. Now, if you, Robin, have a year or two of cash on hand, when that big market decline happens, you can decide to just pause your monthly or quarterly withdrawals, however you decide to do it as a family, live on some of that cash while the market recovers, and then you haven't locked in those losses. You've put yourself in a better position to kind of extend the life of your assets. But these are the kind of things that a CFP can talk you through um, and that the book Five Years Before You Retire is also going to help you think through. Health insurance is definitely a big question. A CFP can also talk you through some of those options, especially one that specializes in retirement planning. They're going to have a lot of insight into what to do about your health insurance. I will say on life insurance, life insurance is meant to protect your dependents and replace lost income. So if you're retired or you're approaching retirement, it's unlikely that you need life insurance because you probably don't have dependents anymore. Your kids are likely grown um, and you don't have an income to replace. You've been retired. And so that's one thing that you could probably take off your plate. I hope that helps. All right. Our next question comes from Tiffany who says, are there any good podcasts or blogs you'd recommend for smart money daddies? My husband is intrigued by all that I've been learning And I might have actually inspired him a bit with my hard work. Awesome job, Tiffany. That's fantastic. And I share as much as I can with him, but I know we obviously think very differently than men sometimes. And that's true, especially when it comes to the emotional side of money. The way they start that journey might be a little bit different for men than it is for women. I will say that in general, it's the beginning part that's different. It's getting them to be open to thinking about their money mindset and their money histories and their money stories. Once we get under that layer, we all do this differently. We all have different money memories. So men versus women, if they have to go through the same work of analyzing what their money history is, deciding what they want their money relationship to be, and really making those changes. So 
We have tons of women who do the courses in the Motivated Mama Society, who listen to the Smart Money Mama Show together with their partners. And we actually have about 10% of our listeners of the Smart Money Mama Show are men. So first of all, he's always welcome to listen here and to take away what makes the most sense for him. It might be helpful for you to, to be working from the same platform. All that said, there are some excellent, excellent fathers out there that have podcasts and YouTube channels all about money. I know you mentioned in the Mama's Talk Money Facebook group that he has already started to listen to His and Her Money with Ty and Talat McNeely. I highly recommend that show. That's fantastic. And what's really great is that Talat does some YouTube shows and definitely some podcast episodes on his own from the perspective of a father and a man. And those can be really helpful for dads. The next recommendation I'd give you is Marriage, Kids, and Money by my friend Andy Hill. That's a really great podcast. He has a YouTube channel as well um, where he talks about, you know, life as a dad and as a husband as it relates to money and their financial goals, a really good resource there as well. The last recommendation I'll make is the You Need a Budget podcast. Everyone who's been around the Smart Money Mama show knows how much I love You Need a Budget, but they have a podcast that is actually still hosted by their founder, Jesse Meekum. He's a father of seven, and he has a holistic view of money. It's part of the reason that I really love YNAB. And their show and his perspective is really great. So those are three shows I would have him check out, His and Her Money, Marriage, Kids and Money, and the You Need a Budget podcast. But as always, he's absolutely welcome here to come hang with us. And finally, our last question just seemed like fun to answer, so I didn't want to skip it. And I'm sure there are mamas listening who've been curious. The question came from Trish, who asked, what did you say to your boss when you decided to leave the corporate world and start Smart Money Mamas? How did that conversation go? And this is, you know, a question that I don't think I've answered on this show before. And it's an interesting one because I had been having so many physical manifestations of stress and such a difficult pregnancy with George before I decided to leave. And so I had been already having major back pain issues. I had postpartum depression after Henry. And while I was continuing to do my job very well and I was ranked in the top quartile of our investors at the hedge fund, I wasn't myself. And so my direct manager knew that well. She and I were very close. And so when my water broke early, for those of you who don't know, my water broke uh, when I was 32 weeks pregnant with George. So we were in the hospital at Beth Israel. And that was when I made the decision that I just couldn't do this anymore. That just wasn't something that was going to work for my family, that I needed time to recover mentally and physically. And so that is really where the conversation came from. Well, I was excited about taking what had been the baby version of Smart Money Mamas and turning it into a business. That wasn't what I focused on with her. And I think that helped ease the conversation a bit. And basically, I called and said, listen, I'm currently in a place where I don't think I can do my job well. And I don't think that I'm serving myself as a human being or my kids well at all to continue to try to muscle through this. And I think I need to step away. It's probably going to be a year or two at least before I'm really feeling better. And so I think it makes more sense for me to quit and leave as opposed to trying to take some kind of medical leave. She was disappointed, but very understanding. Definitely wanted to make sure that I took care of myself, took care of my kids. And so the conversation was pretty smooth and the company was very supportive in making sure that I had my benefits through what would have been my maternity leave and that I still got my annual bonus that year and all those kind of things. And so that was really lovely. Now, I will say, as I kind of went through those first few months with George, for everyone that is wondering, George stayed in until full term, completely healthy baby. We didn't have to worry about um, NICU or anything like that. But 
once I, you know, he'd been around for a couple months and I went back to have coffee with some of my old colleagues, they were definitely very surprised in what I was trying to do. And so the idea of freelance writing and the idea of online businesses and blogs was definitely confusing, especially in a place where we made really good money. There's not a lot of people that walk away from those kind of jobs. Now, I will say over time, uh, my boss and I have stayed in contact and she loves when she sees us on Forbes or in different news medias or she checks out our summit. That's been kind of fun to see her recognize how much of a better fit this was for me and that we've been able to stay in touch and keep a good relationship. But like I said, we focused really on my own health early on. I wish that I had had the foresight and the self-care to leave before it got to that point, before I got to the point where I was in the hospital. But the honest answer is I didn't. And it took really having that breakdown moment, scary moment to realize that I had to do something else. And I had to do something that was more aligned with the life that I wanted to live and my own values. And so that's how that transition went, how the conversation went. And thanks for asking. I haven't actually thought about and talked about that in a while. So thank you. And that's all for this month's Mailbag Mamas. As I mentioned at the top of the show, feel free to send me your questions anytime via our voicemail at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash voicemail on social media or in our free Mamas Talk Money community on Facebook. You can see an overview of today's questions with links to resources mentioned, as well as to download your free Meaningful Money Goal Kickstart Guide in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 105. My friend, thank you again for listening to the Smart Money Mama Show. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast and tell your friends. I truly appreciate it. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time. <laughs>